for the August 11th, 2023 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting on Play in the Sand Day from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always... The mysterious figure appearing on the side of the empty road. Mahler, the fake news dog. There he is. Hi, Mahler. If I heard that on the side of an empty road. You mean like you're driving down some yeah. at night, late yeah. at night. Late at night. You got the windows rolled down. Yeah. And you hear that. Yeah. You yeah. might swerve right off the road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stuff. yeah that's right, Molly. You hear that kind of stuff going on. Yeah. Excuse the living crap out of you. Today we'll be talking about ecocide, free-floating planets, Antarctic watermelons, and so much more here on Weekly Signals. But first, do you ever dream about aromas, Mike? Oh, I don't like can't, you're laying there yeah. and you're sleeping and conjuring and, up kind of a smell, a, an aroma. No, I can't say that I recall that. I may, but I don't recall. Yeah. Do you? No. Oh, okay. I don't think that, so. I mean, is that, is, if, if you said, how about you at home? Well, let's just say for suddenly I smelled burnt toast. Is that an aroma? That that uh, it's an aroma. Yeah, it's yeah. an aroma. Yeah. Suddenly, in your dream, you in, smelled burnt toast, but you actually were smelling the toast well, because yeah. someone was making toast. Yeah, or I was having like, a stroke. Yeah, one of the two. Yeah, so is that what it smells like? That's what I've been told that it's you burnt toast. If you suddenly, for no reason at all, you're like driving down the road at night and you uh-huh. smell burnt toast. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you might want to pull, pull over. over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely <laughs> might want, and then call someone. Well, unless the car, the car toaster is going. Well, yeah, the car yeah. toaster. There's always that. So. <laughs> Something. From Science Daily, when the fragrances of rose, orange, eucalyptus, lemon, peppermint, rosemary, and lavender floated through the bedrooms of old people mm. for two hours every night for six months, they called the ambulance. <laughs> no, no, that's how it happened. <laughs> Their memories skyrocketed. That's now great you want to know why. Yeah, why this happened. Yeah. Participants in a study by the University of California right here in Irvine. Wow. Neuroscientists here clocked a 226% increase in cognitive capacity in these old people compared to a control group of old people. Hmm. Yeah, 226 increase in cognitive capacity. Very good. The project involved men and women aged 60 to 85, 60 to 85 without memory impairment. So they weren't. Yeah. Losing their memory, yeah. they were in good mental states. All were given a diffuser and seven cartridges, each containing a single and different natural oil. Rose, orange, eucalyptus, lemon, peppermint, rosemary, and lavender. Mm. People in the enriched group received full-strength cartridges. Control group got a little bit of smell because, you know, what do you, you're getting these things. If you don't have the smell, then you probably know. Mm-hmm. So they don't want people to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Participants put a different cartridge into their diffuser each evening prior to going to bed, and it activated for two hours as they slept. The enriched group, as I said, showed a 226% increase in cognitive performance compared to the control group, wow. as measured by a wordless test commonly used to evaluate memory. 
Mm. So he gives this test quite a bit. Imaging of participants revealed better integrity in the brain pathway called the left unsolate fasciculus. The unsolate fasciculus is a white matter tract containing parts of the limbic system and plays a role in memory encoding and retrieval as well as regulation of emotion. This pathway, which connects the medial temporal lobe to the decision-making prefrontal cortex, becomes less robust with age. Okay. Participants also reported sleeping more soundly, so they sniffed this stuff. It made them smarter and sleep better. The study was supported by Proctor and Gamble. That's the only thing I'm thinking, well, well what happens if they got bad results? Yeah. We wouldn't be reading this right yeah, you now. you wouldn't be. But I got to believe that stimulus in the right delivery system is a good thing for the brain. Yeah, that? I'll say. Yeah. That's what I'm always after, a little stimulus. From I the, wouldn't want to be stimulated. Yeah, no, and you've been using yeah. a very effective... Uh, yeah, yeah, Mahler, Mahler, yeah. He and, likes to be stimulated. And, yeah, and you've been using a very effective delivery system as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. You mean the vaporizer? Yeah. Speaking of that kind of stuff, do yeah. you like crisp tortilla chips? Do you uh, like them? I, yeah, I used to devour them. I used to. Well, I'm not uh, talking about whether you're trying to watch out. Not no, to no. I just don't. I don't. Them. I find that I don't like them as much as I used to. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm it's surprised. fine. I mean, it's not like I don't like them. I, How about I just, roasted nuts? Roasted nuts? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Baked bread? Yeah. I like crispy stuff. Do you? Yeah, okay. I like to crunch. Okay. Yeah. I think that's part of the Neanderthal in me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gnawing on bones. <laughs> From Canary Media. Last week, the South Coast Air Quality Management District adopted a first-in-the-nation rule that aims to dramatically reduce emissions of nitrogen oxides from hundreds of commercial food ovens in the South Coast District. The area includes large swaths of Los Angeles, Orange, Riverside, and San Bernardino counties, and it's home to top food manufacturers such as Bimbo Bakery, Frito-Lay, and Snack King. Starting in 2027, nearly 100 facilities operating a total of 218 ovens must meet a zero emissions limit for nitrogen oxides, a smog-forming and health-harming pollutant. In order to comply, virtually all companies will have to replace their gas-burning ovens with electric. Electrifying California's 6,100 food and beverage facilities will eliminate a major source of gas demand in the state. In 2021, the sector accounted for over 38% of the industrial gas demand served by SoCal Gas, hmm. not including refineries, because mm-hmm. you got to figure. Yeah. But that's, that's good. Yeah. It's going to be tough making the transition, and <laughs> a lot of the... Uh, Bimbo bakeries out there were complaining about it. They're saying, we're not going to be able to do this in time. The cost. They don't, yeah, yeah, they yeah. don't make that many huge ovens right. in a place like that that are electric. But I would imagine right. that they can. Yeah. There are already some out there. And the South Coast Air Quality Management District says they're going to help with this. And they'll work with the companies. It's not going to be a fine if they don't do it in time. Right. They just have to show good intent. Exactly. And that's the good news about a lot of the regulations, at least here in California. It seems that the government is willing to either give them a, give them a helping hand, whether it's financial or otherwise, in order to make this transition. It's not as – I feel like if, 
you know, a decade or so ago, it was pretty draconian. You either do this or you're in big trouble. And yeah. it seems like they've gotten the idea, hey, you can get a lot better results if you help. And, and in the long run, it, it's economically beneficial for all of us. Can I, very quickly, I want to give you an example of something that's going on here. The Newport Beach area, there's a ferry that goes across from Balboa Island to the to the peninsula. And and for, it's ferry. been there since the 20s, I think. A long it's time. Yeah. And it's diesel powered, I it's think. It's diesel power, yeah. which is bad. We're not, we're not arguing that they should continue to, but they've been told they have to go electric. Yeah. And in order to do that, they would replace these three ferry boats that they've been using. It'd be like $6 million for them to do it. They can't do it. They can't financially do it. The ferry company can't. Yeah. However. They, however. The good news is they're going to get some help. They're going to make this transition. They are going to do it eventually. But, yeah. you know, it's an example of in, in the past, it feels like they would just said, well, you're done. But yeah. now it, there's also there's some private money that's coming yeah. in to help, too. So but well, anyway. stop whining about it. Let's yeah. do this. Let's just let's do be it. Adults. Come yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. What? Let's improve ourselves. We know what the consequences yeah. are if we don't. Right. So let's do it. And this has always been my beef. I don't think people... If you ask them, did they care where their power came from? They don't care if it came from broccoli. Really? Do they I really? When it are comes they from broccoli? Are they, are they that invested in fossil fuel that they are emotionally invested in the idea that it has to be fossil fuel? Well, some of them are. Yes, well, some. <laughs> yeah, some, there's a few. Yeah. If you'd like to hear more about roasted nuts and aromatherapy, may I recommend a donation to KUCI? Just go to. KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. Yeah. Yes. And from the Bioscience Journal. Remember last week when we talked about how Republicans wanted to plant a trillion trees yes. to cool the planet? Yes, yes. And scientists reminded us that planting trees won't really do very much to prevent climate change. No, not for about 50 years or yeah, so. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. And it would be best if we just stopped using so much bloody fossil fuels. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, as it turns out, according to a new study, U.S. tree nurseries do not have enough capacity for a tree planting campaign, let alone one trillion trees. <laughs> of course, they could gear up for it, but yeah. why? When yeah. we could, there's so many other ways to stop this from happening. Yes. They also lack the plant species diversity those plants require. Researchers also found a lack of future climate-suitable varieties that will survive the worsening heat and extreme weather conditions. So if we just run out there and start planting any old tree... And they burn up. Yeah, they just burn up. So, okay. Listen, when, when cactus are just burning up, yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. when that's happening, I don't think pine trees are going to make it very far yeah. or whatever, whatever the trees might In be. In Phoenix, the limbs are just dropping off. Yeah. There's just like the arms of these cactus are just going, ah, <laughs> that's enough. no more. Trees that play key roles in local ecosystems were also scarce, the study found. Yeah. If part of your solution to climate change is, we'll just continue to use that fossil fuel. We'll just keep going on that. And well, by the way, let's plant some trees. If that's your idea, go away. Leave well, us alone. grow up. Yeah, grow Come up. Come on. Yeah. From Politico, Sorry. an effort to turn ecocide the systematic destruction of the environment into an international crime, ecocide, mm -hmm. on par with genocide and crimes against humanity is gaining momentum in the European Union. Amen. 
buried in a European Parliament report mm -hmm. is a sentence calling for the EU to explore the idea. Mm -hmm. The provision was backed by most of the legislature's political groupings in committee in March, which means it's likely to be adopted by the full Parliament later this month. French President Emmanuel Macron is one of the few world leaders to openly back the idea, saying last year that heads of government who deliberately fail to protect the environment should be held accountable for their wrongdoings before the International Criminal Court. There is no international criminal law that can be applied neatly and directly to many of the worst assaults on our natural environments. De degradation of forests, poisoning of rivers, extinction of animal species. There's no law against that. Mm -mm. That's kind of dumb. That's why the head of the Stop Ecocide campaign announced the creation of an international panel of top legal experts to come up with a legal definition of ecocide as an international crime that could sit alongside war crimes, genocide, and crimes against humanity by amending the Rome Statute, the International Criminal Court's founding document. There's going to be a lot of tinkering around the edges of something like this in the sense that if somebody owns a chemical plant and downstream people die, yeah. where, where's the parameter? People should be held accountable for sure, but it'll take a little while to iron this one out, but yeah, I think they're sure. on the right track. Well, let's hope this action will trigger support in the International Criminal Court to put forward a proposal to amend the Rome Statute as early as next year. If you're interested, go to stopecocide.earth. Okay. There you go, stopecocide.earth. You can find out more information on this. I think it's a good idea. I do too. I don't know how severe That's what I the mean. punishments yeah, are, but there's got to be something out there in an international court. To, yeah. If people are coming into your country and a species of animal that you're somehow dependent on is going extinct because of what they're doing there, you should be able to stop that. Yes. From the Intelligencer. Six things to know about flying with the super rich on their private jets. Okay. Six things to know. I'm all ears because this has been a problem for me. I know. I mean, uh, you're up there yeah, in a private yeah. jet. What do I know? What, I, I know what, nothing. Yeah. What do I need to know? Number one, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. <laughs> Only the wealthiest top 0.0008% of the population. That's not much. No. Folks with a medium income worth of $190 million own a private jet. Just a little short of that. That's the low end yeah. right there. I I'm mean, just a little low. I'm a little bit short of that one. You're, you're kind of a, you I, know, I could a afford, bum if you're, you're yeah, yeah. flying a jet and all you make is $190 million. Yeah. yeah, I could get into a Piper Cup. Just cruise me down the runway and then turn around and go back to the hangar. Yeah. I could do that. <laughs> Most owners are male and older than 50 and made their money in banking, finance, real estate, or extortion. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I added the extortion yeah. there. But I'm, I'm just being honest. Yeah. You don't yeah. make that kind of money. No. You steal that kind yeah. of money. You screw other people out yeah. of that kind of money. You hide things and make that kind of money. Yeah. And don't set up a foundation and pretend like you're doing the world good. So you can shelter more money and yeah, brag about the well, fact that you built a wing on a hospital. Well, you know, that's how we fool them. We say, hey, look, we put your name up there. Yeah. And then we take their money, yeah. which is kind of a yeah. whorish thing to do. But 60% of the world's private jets are owned by Americans. 60% of the private jets in the world 
are owned by folks in this country. I guess you could say that's prosperity. Mm. I like to look at it as stupidity, yeah. but yeah. number two, it's not about where you're from. <laughs> Today's super wealthy don't belong to any particular place on earth. Their money ebbs and flows across yep. the world's network while they float above, preferring to avoid unnecessary contact with you and me. That is a relatively new phenomenon in the sense that these are isolated people. isolated people. They live in a, in a universe of which we're very unfamiliar. A big selling point with private jets is the ability to minimize what are known as touch points, the individual micro interactions that can take place as you move through the world. <laughs> Like saying hello to a gate agent or asking a fellow passenger to switch seats. Oh, that's such a bother. Oh, it is. I... When you fly commercial, there are more than 700 touch points. When you fly private, it's just 20. Okay. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't distract these rich bastards. Well, bastards. Yeah, I almost went there, Mike. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. we're not allowed to. No. Number three, compensation really matters. It used to say size really matters, but I... I put compensation in there. <laughs> the bigger the jet, the smaller the penis. The kind of plane you fly, how big it is, can affect your social prospects among the private jets. Think of Donald Trump. Yeah. Number four, jets pollute. Oh, yeah. Private jets emit at least 10 times more pollutants than commercial planes per passenger. Yeah. As a result, 1% of the population is responsible for generating half of the greenhouse gases emitted by aviation. <sighs> Yeah. Number five, what happens at 35,000 feet stays there. Yeah. Private jets are used as forms of bribery to Supreme Court members. Yes, they are. Like Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, along with just about everybody else. Yeah. You can yeah. bribe all sorts of things out of people yeah. if you give them a little ride in your private jet, which, you know, that's pretty pathetic. It I is. Gotta a, it, say. Exactly. If your integrity is for sale for a ride, around on a jet yeah it's like riding, riding really? you know the little horsey out in front yeah, exactly. of you know yeah. ralph's grocery store <laughs> when you're a little kid yeah i'll do anything now clarence thomas yeah and the number six thing you need to know about flying with the super rich we are all paying for their luxury the public subsidizes the private jet lifestyle through taxes that maintain airports and air traffic control under trump the first president to own his own jet the government cut a substantial tax break for private plane oh ownership. My God. Today, jet owners pay 87% less in federal taxes oh than what commercial passengers are charged. Private jets make up approximately one out of every six flights handled by the Federal Aviation Administration, but contribute just 6% of the taxes that make up the fund that funds the FAA. Oh, my God. That is disgusting. Yeah. I've been calling this the law of inverse economics, and that is the wealthier you are, the less that you have to pay into society to yeah. make it functional. Yeah. You that don't means, want to be seen with society. Yeah, you don't want to yeah, touch society. Exactly. You don't want to help society. You just want to live in your little castle and play like everything's okay and you're the tops. And, and it, what's worse is it's set up that way. It's not like you on, on your own are somehow fooling the system into doing it this way. The system is saying, please, 
we insist that you pay less money. We insist that you have more benefits because you're rich. Because people like to take rides on little horses in front of grocery stores. (laughs) You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Oh, yeah. Oh, there we go. This is the part of the show. Yeah. Mahler. Yeah. yeah. Come on, buddy. Come on. Get in here. There you go. What a guy. (laughs) You know, he can be bought. Yeah. Yeah. See, right there. Give him a little squeaky toy, and he's he's all in. From our good friend Charles Pierce at Esquire Magazine, Charles is blaming the climate crisis for the horrors on Maui. And so are we. Yeah, so are we. We're with you, Chuck. Yeah. Get used to it, he says. It's going to be a part, one way or another, of every major weather catastrophe for the foreseeable future. That's a big part of the price for inaction. We haven't done anything. This is what we're paying for now. Charles quotes from the Washington Post. As of this writing, we still don't know exactly what sparked Maui's fires. But we do know the conditions fueling the blazes included prolonged drought and high winds from Hurricane Dora far offshore to the south. Neither of those particular weather events has yet been tied directly to climate change, but we do know warmer weather makes hurricanes more intense, and a relentlessly heating planet has made Hawaii drier. So, duh. Yeah. That's what did it. A couple years from now, scientists will conclude that this is what caused the horrors on Maui. Uh, Peer review is great, but when the earth is burning, we won't have time for peer review. Yeah. From the Daytona Beach News Journal, Florida students will now be required to get their parents' consent before using a nickname in schools. Parents and guardians of students were advised that school districts in the states are now required to develop a form to obtain parental consent to use any deviation or nickname from the child's legal name in school. Okay. The email cites rule 61-1.0955-8M, which was implemented in July and according to the Florida Department of Education is, and I quote, to strengthen the rights of parents and safeguard their child's educational record to ensure the use of the child's legal name in school oh. or a parent-approved nickname, which says absolutely nothing. No. To strengthen the rights of parents. So, so that's a right, yeah, I guess. Uh, so, Don't you dare call my son Jimmy when his well, name is James. Oh, James, yeah. Well, I was thinking, <laughs> so I can't call you Stinky anymore And if I were in school? or Not, okay. not officially. Yeah. So, so, well, I can't. Hey, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Stinky, what's the answer to question number yeah. four? Yeah. Well, yeah, your yeah, teacher's yeah. not going to call you that anyway. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, so you're going to safeguard the children's educational record by doing this? That's another part of this quote. To ensure the use of the child's legal name. To ensure the use of oh, the child's yeah, legal name. Yeah. This is a lawsuit waiting to happen all over the country right here. A parent-approved nickname. Is that your parent-approved nickname, Stinky? (laughs) Well, that's what my dad calls me, yeah. (laughs) You know, it could go that way, too. If I'm sending my kids to those schools, yeah, yeah, they're going to be 
F you. Yeah, have some fun with me. Yeah, if you're, yeah. If you're, <laughs> you're a parent, have some fun with it. Yeah, my son's name is Bite Me. <laughs> a rule would impact everyone from students who prefer using a shorthand name, say Ron DeSantis instead of Ronald DeSantis. To those who prefer a different name altogether, including transgender students. Well, of course, that's what this is aimed at. Yeah. But good golly, these people are just cutting their nose off yeah. down there in Florida. But I guess that's the way they like it. From ProPublica, Wisconsin's dairy industry relies on undocumented immigrants, but the state won't let them legally drive. In Wisconsin, undocumented immigrants can own and register their cars and trucks, but they aren't allowed to drive them. We well, that's the insurance thing happening. Yeah. Uh, those who drive anyway are pulled over again and again and again and issued tickets that eat away at their wages. And this is a necessary industry there in Wisconsin, and yet we're punishing these people for doing the work. I think in California, we've at least been honest yeah, about it. I think so, too. I yeah. think that's what it is. If I say anything about California, it's embarrassingly honest. Yeah, we're honest. These people, okay, they're not citizens, but they drive. Let's make sure they get insurance. Let's make sure they do the legally required things to be operating a motor vehicle. Yeah. Let's not pretend and then punish them and make them a re- revenue source for the state. Yeah, good God. Law enforcement officials say the roads are less safe because undocumented immigrants aren't trained and tested on uh, basic driving rules, but they drive anyway and often without insurance. Well, that may be sure, but if you've ever driven around Irvine, there's a lot of people here that don't know how to drive, and they're not from Mexico. Court officials say tickets for driving without a license overwhelm their dockets and drain their limited resources. Farmers say they have to build or find employee housing to help their workers avoid getting ticketed. Congress hasn't figured out what to do about the millions of undocumented immigrants who work in U.S. industries that, like dairy, unabashedly depend on them. Meanwhile, state lawmakers, like Wisconsin Republicans, often grandstand on anti-immigration issues. So come on, folks. If you're going to employ someone, give them a means to get to their job. How close... Nathan, how close is this to a form of enslavement? I'm not going to say slavery because that's a loaded word, but it is. <laughs> but I'll, but I'm going to say enslavement, slave. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that where they know that these people are there for a reason that is a necessary part of the agricultural industry or whatever it is, knowing that these people are most likely to be non-citizens. It's, the system's uh, out of balance. Yeah. Because yeah. on one hand, you have yeah. the people who are making money, the industry in the state. Yeah. Uh, is allowed to do one thing but not another that helps their industry. They looked the the other way when they hired illegal immigrants, but when it comes time for those immigrants to actually get to a job, they're arrested and fined. I say just find the industry. Anytime one of these guys gets pulled over and they're hired by them, they don't pay the ticket. Mm -hmm. The dairy industry does. Things would change quickly if that were to happen. From Los Angeles Times... On Monday, Paramount sold Simon & Schuster, a 99-year-old publishing house, to KKR, a private equity firm. Of course. Paramount acquired Simon & Schuster in 1975, leading to vast growth through acquisitions. By the 21st century, Simon & Schuster had become one of the big five of publishing, 
That would be Penguin Random House, Hachette Book Group, HarperCollins, Macmillan, wow. and Simon & Schuster. Wow. KKR, or Coburg, Kravis, and Roberts, is an investment company founded in 1976. Kravis and Roberts continue to hold positions as executive co-chairman. They pioneered leveraged buyouts in the 1980s, culminating in one of the largest in history when they bought out R.J. Reynolds Nabisco in 1989. The firm, KKR, established an early record of buying companies, loading them up with debt, then squeezing them for profit, maybe most famously for the slow death of Toys R Us. More recently, KKR acquired hundreds of facilities for people with disabilities, which, under the new ownership, KKR led to conditions where residents were consigned to live in squalor, denied basic medical care, or all but abandoned, according to a Polk-winning report from BuzzFeed. KKR has more than $500 billion in assets. Simon & Schuster purchased for $162 billion will account for less than one-half of 1% of that total. Truth be told, the average reader is unlikely to notice much of a change, not because there won't be a change, but because whatever change comes will merely be the acceleration of a half-century trend of increased conglomeration and shareholder-driven thinking, a process going back to Paramount's acquisition in the 1970s of a company it's been trying to sell for years, Mm. Simon & Schuster. (laughs) There was a period of time that uh, I lived through, Nathan as well, when people like Carl Icahn were celebrated as the rock stars of American yeah. capitalism. And this was, this, this was the deal. This is how you made money. This was acceptable to go in and just as you described it. It wasn't the, acceptable to me, or you or me. No, but it was acceptable. A lot of people so, saw business. through it. Yeah, absolutely. But it's all the goddamn business majors that Reagan created exactly. through his no regulations, government is the problem BS. <laughs> exactly. Jesus. God, I hate that president. Yeah. I do, too. He kicked it all off yeah. with his stupid yeah. smile and, boy, yeah. howdy, demeanor. I don't think he really had an ideology. <laughs> well, I mean, in the sense that he yeah. saw opportunity to, to, to allow the American yeah. economy to become predacious. He's a okay. son of a bitch. Yeah, he is. From BBC News. Zoom, the video communications company whose name became synonymous with remote work during the pandemic, has ordered its staff back to the office. Zoom. Mm-hmm. You can't Zoom anymore on <laughs> that's, Zoom. That's no. I, there's irony. Yeah, the there firm is. said it believed in, in a structured hybrid approach. Mm. So it's hybrid, you know, you're, you're there and you're not there type of thing. Mm-hmm. Was most effective and the people living within 50 miles of an office should work in person at least twice a week. That's 100 miles around trip, 50 miles there. Twice a week, just 200 miles. If you're driving a gas-powered car, you know, come on. Fun fact. I drove from where I live to where I worked in Alhambra, and it was almost exactly, it was like 49.8 miles from my yeah, house yeah. to there. And I can tell you that that took years of my life in addition. Well, and it takes like two hours or three hours every day one way sometimes. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. yeah. It is the latest push by a major firm to walk back flexible working policies. Surveys suggest that workers are still holding on to the ability to work from home to some degree. About 12% of workers in the U.S. where Zoom is headquarters were fully remote in July, while another 29% had hybrid policies. 
At one point during the pandemic, Zoom said staff would be able to work remotely indefinitely. Mm -hmm. But they were just trying to sound cool. In relation to that, um, COVID positive tests are on the uptick in Elway County. Yep. We'll see how that rides out. From The Guardian. Anti-SUV activists used a power drill to sabotage the tires of more than 60 4x4 vehicles at a car dealership in Exeter, England, in an attack they described as a reprisal for the deaths of two girls in a crash at a primary school last month. Activists from the tire extinguishers, we talked about these guys before, it's T-Y-R-E because they're from England, the tire extinguishers, that's the name of the group, went from vehicle to vehicle drilling holes in the sidewalls of all four tires on each stupid ugly vehicle. That would be SUV. The attack was a significant escalation in tactics for the campaign, whose supporters have previously limited themselves to letting the air out of tires by jamming lentils in the tire valves. Now they're going to drills. I like that jump. That's a logical progression. That's that's kind of healthy, uh actually. The tire extinguisher said the attack was in response to an incident in which a Land Rover crashed through a school fence into an end-of-the-year tea party at a study prep school in Wimbledon, southwest London, killing two eight-year-olds and injuring 16 Uh, others. This act of retaliation is intended as a peaceful and non-violent demonstration to draw attention to the process of grossly inappropriate private vehicles in our towns and cities, the tire extinguisher said in a statement. We would love to see others take up similar actions. For information, visit tireextinguishers.com. And when you're spelling out tire, be sure to put the Y in there. T-Y-R-E-E-X-T-I-N-G-U-I-S-H-E-R-S.com. From the Washington Post, California regulators voted to allow self-driving companies Waymo and Cruise to offer 24-7 paid taxi service in San Francisco. A major win for the industry that could pave the way for more widespread adoption of the technology driverless cars i don't think we're ready that's the only thing i'm not fighting driverless cars i don't think we're ready for it i don't think the, the way our streets are set yeah up, exactly i don't think that the cars are up to the challenge yet either exactly and the, we're, we're the yeah. guinea pigs now i think it matter speaking what you're describing is the infrastructure isn't there for it yeah is that, is that a fair way uh, oh, yeah absolutely. yeah yeah the infrastructure and the cars aren't quite up to speed yeah, yet yeah just wait a little bit. Run them through some more tests. The yeah. technology is going to advance. That's what it keeps doing. Yes. So wait until it's a yeah. bit safer to do this. Yeah. In the meantime, what I've decided to do is just F around with them. Don't break the law. Stay in your yeah, lane. Yeah, but yeah, kind of get a little bit too close to them there, you know? <laughs> I don't think the technology is up to it. I agree. The California Public Utilities Commission approved the permits despite pushback from local leaders and many residents in San Francisco who argue that the autonomous vehicles have caused chaos around the city from traffic jams to disrupted emergency scenes. In other words, they stop uh, emergency vehicles from getting to an accident. They'll stall up streets. There'll be an accident ahead. They'll have this blockade of these cars that don't know what they're doing. Oh, my goodness. As part of the conditions of operations in California, the companies are required to report certain information, such as mileage and collisions, to the National Highway Safety Administration and other agencies. But critics say this data is unreliable and incomplete 
because the companies are not required to report a range of other incidents that affect the public, like when the car veers into a bike or bus lane or stops short and disrupts traffic. All those things that can cause accidents elsewhere that won't necessarily be referred to the cause of it, which would be the driverless car. I know this is the way tech is going, and this is the way the industry is going, and that's fine, San Francisco Fire Chief Janine Nicholson said, but don't shove it down our throats. Amen. That's right, Janine. God damn it. Amen. Yeah, Muller. Uh, That was short and concise. He's He's that way. Pointedly angry. Yeah. From the Astronomical Journal, astronomers have found that free-floating planets in the Milky Way far outnumber those bound to a host star. Hmm. Astronomers had once calculated that billions of planets had gone rogue in the Milky Way. Now they say it's trillions. Hmm. Yeah. The abundance of free floaters in the Milky Way suggests that planet-sized objects slamming into each other during the formation process are more common than theorists might have guessed. Wow. Kind of a free-for-all out there, is what you're saying. <laughs> Every boulder for himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Good way to put it. From the Washington Post. It's winter in Antarctica, but scientists just grew watermelons there. Oh, my God. Yeah. At Vostok Station in Antarctica, July used to be so bitterly cold that in 1983 it was home to Earth's record low temperature, minus 128.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, my God. But this winter... Russian agricultural researchers say they've successfully grew eight watermelons at a station greenhouse as part of a wider initiative to grow plants at Russia's polar stations. The experiments are also intended to test the potential of agricultural production at future outposts in space. Researchers have already successfully grown tomatoes, peppers, and herbs in the greenhouses. The watermelons were planted without soil and grew using a combination of soil substitute fertilizers, and special lighting. So they weren't relying on the sun there. The watermelon's taste and aroma are not worse than domestic ones. They're not worse than domestic <laughs> No, no. That, that's they're, a real uh, they're stamp edible. of approval. You can eat them. Yeah. Andre Teplovkov, <laughs> a geophysicist at Vostok Station, said, researchers harvested eight mini watermelons that were up to 5.11 inches in diameter. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's like a softball. Oh, come on. Come on, that's not a watermelon, the heaviest of which weighed 2.2 pounds. Yeah. These aren't watermelons. Oh, come, come on. on. These but are still, berries. It's still distressing that they even thought it would be possible. How's that? Well, it is possible. Well, yeah, apparently. Next, the researchers said they will attempt other crops, including berries and cucumbers. How about bananas? Yeah. I'm going <laughs> for bananas. bananas. How about oxygen and carbon sequestering? Can we get something yeah. to grow down there that's about all about that? Yeah. And finally, uh, more watermelon news. Because oh. we're on a roll now. With I love watermelon. watermelon. You, yeah. You're really, you're really hitting a nerve here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I ate a whole watermelon. Almost Rec- felt like I did. Recently. Yeah. Yeah. I had things coming out of me that were the color <laughs> of watermelon. Yeah, that's the distressing part. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not get into it. From Bangor Daily News, toxic foaming watermelons are showing up in Maine. Toxic foaming? (laughs) You got it, pal. I love watermelons. The foaming bubbling from the watermelons is a sign the fruit inside is actively fermenting, and it's been affecting more watermelons this summer as the states where watermelons are grown, Florida, Arizona, California, Delaware, or Texas. What's Delaware doing in there? have been facing above-average temperatures, like in climate change. 
At some point in the growing process, a fermenting melon picks up a bacteria. Mm -hmm. That bacteria combines with the natural sugars and yeast in the melon, and with heat fermentation, the chemical breakdown of the melon's insides begins. It's also been unusually warm in Maine recently, increasing the likelihood of melons and other fruit fermenting if they're not properly stored. According to the Fermentation Association, I had no idea there was one, <laughs> but you can get to it at fermentationassociation.org. According to the yeah. Fermentation Association, a watermelon that has started foaming or leaking liquid should never be consumed. A fermentating watermelon creates the perfect environment for toxic pathogens to flourish, including botulism, E. coli, and salmonella. Oh, my God. And beware. If enough gas that is produced in the fermentation process builds up inside the fruit, cutting into a watermelon can result in an explosion. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review Podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.